and welcome back to some sort of the Cooler Jets podcast where it's Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, it's been a minute. Uh, I guess the biggest and most relevant news of the time we're recording this, uh, OBJ, no longer an option for the New York Jets. It, it seems like all signs were pointing towards Odo Beckham Jr. linking up with Aaron Rodgers in New York. But then late Sunday night, we get the notification that he signed with the Baltimore Ravens. A pretty hefty contract. Understandable the Jets didn't match it. It did kind of feel like the magic was there between OBJ and, you know, going to, to Suns games with Robert Sala and the connection that he has with Aaron Rodgers. But alas, he goes to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so we're going to talk about how that might uh, change the Jets' offseason plans as well as whatever else is going on with the New York Jets. So with that said, Michael, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, just waiting out this Aaron Rodgers saga like all of us are and Odell Beckham news obviously was pretty surprising to say the least. I definitely had kind of penciled Odell in as a jet already uh, after the news that he was going to meet with them. There was really no other rumors of him going anywhere else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should hop right into the Odell situation because, you know, like I said, I definitely thought it was trending in that direction to where he would be a New York jet. Um, and it, it's something that I had skepticism over, you know, the potential of him joining the team, but I was more skeptical of it initially than I was, you know, by the end there where it looked like he was going to be a jet. I'd come around on it and sort of embrace the upside that he would have brought to the team. But, you know, at the price that he got, that, that is definitely beyond what I think the Jets were willing to offer. And, and you know, clearly so. But um, I think considering the fact that he took this deal so quickly and, you know, basically skipped the Jets meeting entirely is a sign that the Jets were probably not even close to what he ended up getting with Baltimore. I mean, 15 million guaranteed yeah. up to 18 million with incentives. I mean, that is, that's well beyond what I was thinking. What, what I was do you thinking, think, what do you think Joe Douglas offered? Yeah. I mean, like eight million. It's interesting because did you see there was a tweet where Rich Samini was replying to someone and he said something along the lines of, you know, they wanted him, the Jets wanted him more than you think, and it was a pretty competitive offer, something like that. Um, so there was that, but I can't see it being more than maybe ten guaranteed yeah. max, right? Well, you have to wonder where they're getting the space from. And I mean they and we'll talk about some of these these options later, but I mean they can cut Whitehead. It seems like Carl Lawson's gonna be in the team, but that's fifteen million right there. I mean, they can obviously make some restructures, but yeah, to to the handout fifteen million dollars a year to to Odo Beckham Jr. coming off of two knee surgeries, injury prone. And like you said, he was great in that playoff run with with the Rams, but that regular season he wasn't uh all that great. I think to to really look at this move, we gotta go back to the Elijah Moore trade, which I don't think we've done a podcast since. And I, it's it's hard to grade that trade. It's it's certainly a trade that we could look back on and, and regret in a few years because, you know, I still believe in Elijah Moore, the player. I think what that trade signals is that the Jets are giving up a second round pick in this Rogers deal and that they want to take most likely an interior offensive lineman, a center with, you know, one of those those early 40s picks. Uh, it's, you know, I just think it signals that they like somebody in that early second round and that they're going to have to concede a second round pick themselves uh, to, to get Aaron Rodgers. Um, and so, it, you know, if that's their plan, it makes sense. But to give up a third and Elijah Moore, I think we might look back on that and, you know, regret it somewhat. So they better hit on, on whoever they take in the second. When you look at it in terms of they lose OBJ, they trade away Elijah Moore, 
you know, we'll see what they do in the draft. It seems like Corey Davis is probably going to Green Bay. I mean, again, they, they might be able to keep him. Robert Sala was certainly talking him up. What do you think about the Jets receiver options? I mean, where do you go from here? Because it kind of feels like Joe Douglas was, you know, at least thinking OBJ was going to be new, uh, to be a New York Jet. I mean, especially since they traded away Elijah Moore. Yeah, this is the big discussion now because you look at the wide receiver room and it doesn't feel like a need because they have plenty of depth at the position. Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis are still here. You signed Alan Lazard and McCole Hardman, who uh, I don't think we discussed Hardman either um, here on the podcast, so we should touch on him as well. But um, yeah, that's yeah, we, we, we've been slacking, uh, sort of like the Aaron Rodgers trade, but um, we're going to pick it up. Just You're like just I waiting for the compensation. To pick up. Just waiting for that compensation. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, one to four, that wide receiver room, that's pretty solid. There aren't a lot of teams in the league that I think can match that depth going down to the fourth receiver in the lineup. So it doesn't. Yeah. Wait, can I, can like I stop you right there? Just cause you yeah. can bring up Hardman. I know you, you had a love hate relationship with, with uh, Braxton Berrios after digging yeah. into Nico Hardman. <laughs> how much more excited are you for him to be fulfilling that, that fourth receiver kick returner, punt returner, you know, uh, option player for the jets. I think I'm a lot more excited because I think the ceiling is higher. I think Hardman can match a lot of the things Barrios did well. And I think he also brings that explosive deep element that Barrios did not have in his game. So uh, I think you're not going to miss anything about Barrios going from Barrios to Hardman. And I think there will be more elements added to his role in addition to that. And it seems like the Jets are confident and expanding his route tree. I mean, you know, he was a second round pick, so it's not like he was drafted to be this gadget player. He was seen as a potential starting receiver in the league, and he never really, well, I mean, he got the chance to do it last year after Tyreek Hill was traded, but we never saw that fully unleashed with the Chiefs, but I think the Jets believe they can do that. But at the very least, I think you're going to replicate what Barrios was doing, you know, on jet sweeps, design screens, um, in the kick return game. Uh, I think we'll see that replicated and he will provide those occasional deep shots that Barrios didn't. So I'm excited to see him in that role. Uh, but yeah, just looking at the receiver room as a whole, it doesn't feel like a weakness. There are bigger holes in the team. Uh, like safety is still something you got to solve that third linebacker spot um, defensive tackle. They just made a move with Quentin Jefferson, which we'll discuss, but you know, some work to do there still and offensive tackle and center, of course, at the top of that. So, Wide receiver doesn't feel like a huge need. But at the same time, they did make this pursuit for Beckham. And that makes you wonder, like, do they want to do more here? Was that just a Beckham-specific thing? Or do they have plans of really swinging for the fences at this position and just building a super unit for Aaron Rodgers? Because it's a good group, by all means. Garrett Wilson has the potential to be a top 10 type of guy. Um, And then beyond that, you have great complimentary weapons behind him and plenty of depth, but it's still probably not the best receiver group in the league or maybe not even top three or five. Uh, It could be, but until you see that, I don't think it is there. So with that in mind, is the Odell pursuit maybe a sign that the Jets want to make it that type of unit where you look at it and it's like you put Aaron Rodgers with this tremendous receiver group that is unquestionably one of the best in the league is that their goal so i mean what do you think do you see them pivoting to maybe deandre hopkins trade or 
maybe he gets released and you pursue him. Uh, Jerry Judy's another guy who's had rumors around him. And then in the draft, which we'll talk about, do you take Jackson Smith and the Jigba with that 13th pick if he's there? Uh, so do you think they'll make a pivot to another big receiver move or was that kind of an Odell specific thing? Well, I think it really comes down to if they're trading Corey Davis. I mean, they, they could run it back with Corey Davis and have him and Lazard as two terrific blocking receivers and maybe give Garrett Wilson more reps out of the slot. And then, like you said, they have Miko Hardman playing that fourth receiver uh, role for them. But I think they're probably going to trade Davis uh, in this move for Rodgers. So, yeah, I do think they're in the, the receiver market. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if they're in the, the market for taking on a big contract for a big physical receiver like that. But I definitely think Jackson Smith and Jigba or, you know, even a Jordan Addison, who I know some people aren't as high on. But, you know, I always look at Daryl Janiermaia's, uh, you know, top 50. Because uh, if we know anything from Joe Douglas's last two drafts, if you look at Daniel Jeremiah's uh, big board, you can kind of see what Joe, Joe Douglas's big board might look like. And he has Jackson Smith, Jigba and Jordan Addison kind of in that 13 range. And so it's possible that best player available where the Jets are selecting in, in the first round, it's possible that they'll be at 13. Maybe they do a pick swap with Green Bay and they're at 15, but it's possible that receiver will be the best uh, player available. I know that tackle is I, you know, probably the position they should target if you're looking at it from a, a need standpoint. But I think Douglas has proved that, you know, ideally he could fill that 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 need with a veteran. I mean, I'm not sure who else is out there for them to go get outside of maybe Cameron Fleming. Um, you know, they could attack they, they could attack a tackle in the second round. But as I said earlier, I think they're probably targeting a center in that range just because there's you know so many that they could go after. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to make another move at receiver. We'll see. If they don't trade Corey Davis, then I, maybe they're they're set. But I, I have a feeling he's going in that, that Rodgers deal. And so if that's the case, I would not be surprised if they take a receiver on day one of the draft. What, what do you think about that? I mean, the, the option of taking a receiver versus an offensive tackle, we say it every year. You know, we don't want to go into the draft thinking about it like a, a shopping list. And we get proven wrong right. every year when we do these mock drafts. And we, you know, we say, okay, in the second round, they need to take this position. And in the third round, they need to take this position. You know, we've seen time and time again, they're just going to take the best guys on their board. You know, they, and you have to look at it from a, a long-term t- franchise building perspective as well. You know, what positions do you have pipelines at? You know, we know Douglas and Sala want to invest in the trenches. And so that's something to consider as well. So when you look at it uh, in terms of what the Jets can can do and and factoring in their their needs on on the offensive line and potentially at receiver if they move Corey Davis, what's your mindset going into the draft? I mean, we're about two weeks away here. How are you feeling? Um, you know, without the the certainty of the Rodgers deal, but knowing that the Jets are going to have an opportunity here to to add at least you know two players to the, to this offense. Well, first of all, the one point you made is something that we have to make a strong effort to keep in mind throughout this draft process. And I, I think we've said it in past years, but we still kind of stray away from it and, you know, let our um, some of the cliches of draft analysis get the best of us. But like you said, I think drafting is so much more based on the board than it is a shopping list of needs. And we see it every single year, but we still kind of fall into that trap of, all right, round one, that's tackle round two we're going to target center there um but doesn't always go like that and i think more often than not it doesn't go like that and we've seen that the past few drafts the elijah moore pick was pretty surprising when they made it in the second round Uh, the Brees hall pick was a surprising one and then what they did on the third day when they doubled down at edge with michael clements and they picked a tight end in ruckert after you know 
signing two tight ends of free agency. No one was talking about drafting a tight end or, or very few people, because if you did, I give you credit. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know very few people were projecting tight end for the Jets in the third round last year. So this always happens. I think the draft is very much based on the board. So um, I think if, you know, if the Jets were willing to go after Odell, despite having a, you know, a good wide receiver group, like we talked about, then why wouldn't they feel willing to go get a receiver with the 13th pick if Jackson Smith and Jigba is their best player on the board at that spot? And for me, it's a really intriguing idea because he's probably my favorite prospect in this draft. I'm not saying necessarily number one guy, but just, you know, I guess relative to his reputation, because he just reminds me a lot of Jamar Chase in terms of the trajectory, you know, a guy who going into the draft, has that year where, you know, Chase didn't play at all. He sat out um, JSN. He barely played due to injuries. But the year before that, they had that dominant year. And, you know, Smith and Ojigbo was playing with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and he outperformed them while he was younger than them. And then those two went on to be first-round picks, have great rookie years. Um, and then you just look back and think that when he was 19, he was, you know, equal to or outperforming them on the same team. And that's really exciting. So despite injuries last year, not really playing, you look back at that year and it's, you know, he was the best wide receiver in college football, really at 19 years old. And it's hard not to be very thrilled about what he could be in the league. And then you put him back alongside Garrett Wilson and this offense put, you know, Smith and the Jigba in the slot, Wilson outside, got Lazard, Hardman, see what happens with Corey Davis. But that's really enticing to put next to Aaron Rodgers. But despite all of that, the offensive tackle position, you have to address it at some point, right? Because Jets haven't done anything there. And it was probably their number one position of need coming into the offseason. And we're still sitting there with Becton and Dwayne Brown looking like the starters. And obviously, you would hope Becton starts, stays healthy, fulfills his potential in a perfect world. But the injuries, you have to, you know, address that it's a real risk with him and the same goes for Dwayne Brown who is you know getting closer to 40 than he is to 30 at this point and is coming off an injury plagued year where uh, he he kind of struggled when he was playing I, I know he was fighting through injuries but at his age I don't know if you expect him to get any better so those two guys is you know again you hope for the best with Becton but it's a it's a tough bookend duo to rely upon I think you need to get another talented guy in there to have some competition have some security and hopefully this player who you drafted 13 whether it's paris johnson skaronsky roderick jones or you know maybe someone else gets into that mix as well darnell Wright, one of these other guys yeah um, whoever it is i think they're talented enough to start day one and give you a good year we've seen rookie tackles be able to contribute right away um look at tristan Wirfs a couple years ago i think beckton was a good starter when he's healthy as a rookie it can happen. You think so he's left tackle this year? Becton? Yeah. That's, I don't know, because like Dwayne Brown's never switched, and it seems like last year they were, you know, operating based on that, and they moved other guys to accommodate the fact that Brown's, you know, seemingly incapable of playing right tackle. So that's a tough one. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they'll, you know, let's say – you know, as of right now, say they played a game today, do you think it would be, you know, Becton, right tackle, Dwayne Brown, well, left tackle? 
Well, I mean, yeah, obviously it depends on who they draft. I mean, I just keep thinking about Becton has been very adamant about being more comfortable at left tackle. He said that, you know, he injured his right knee and then they tried to play him at right tackle and it buckled again. Obviously, after the surgery, you're hoping that that knee is a little bit more stable. He seems to be in fantastic shape. I'm really excited to see what he could do because he's a huge X factor for the Jets. If he can get back to the level that he was playing at, you know, the beginning of his rookie season, the Jets are in great shape. And the question becomes if they draft a guy like Broderick Jones, you know, do you want to try him out at right tackle and, and give back to the, the, the comfort of, of being a left tackle? Or do you say, you know what, Makai, you know, you're in a contract year. It's unlikely they're going to be able to pay him. Uh, he'll be a free agent after this year, unless they pick up that fifth year option. And, you know, even if, if Becton goes off, I, I I wonder, it's probably going to be a standoff to him and Joe Douglas, just considering, you know, the money that the Jets are going to have tied up if they go after and they go all in with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Um, so if they draft a rookie, you know, maybe they give him the the comfort of, of not having to switch positions and then Becton has to go back out to right tackle. Uh, it really just comes down to who they draft. You know, you, you mentioned Darnell Wright, and he's somebody that, you know, I don't think gets mentioned a, a ton with these other tackles. But again, you look at Dar- Daniel Jeremiah's big board and even just watching him myself, he looks like a very strong right tackle prospect for the Jets. And, you know, I, I know he's maybe not in that 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 upper echelon of tackles that are mentioned. But, you know, I think I think Joe Douglas has an opportunity here to prove his his worth here as an offensive line scout. There's plenty of of. uh you know, mid-level to, to good to very good offensive line prospects in this draft, but they're all kind of evenly um, yeah, matched, I would say. And so it's really going to come down to scouting. And, you know, I, I trust Joe Douglas's ability to, to scout offensive linemen. I know some people can point to that 2020 draft and taking Becton over Werfs, but overall I feel like, you know, the Elijah Vera Tucker uh, pick has, has worked out for the Jets as long as he can stay healthy. And if the Jets are able to add, you know, Broderick Jones in the first round and and uh, John Michael Smith in the, in the second round, I mean, you're looking at offensive line that is is vastly improved. They could still add a veteran like Ben Jones or Cameron Fleming if they if they wanted to. Um, but either way, I mean, I think it's it's of the utmost, utmost important, especially if you're going to have a 39-year-old quarterback to really build a, a wall in front of him. And I think um, they have the opportunity to do that with this, these first two picks. It's exciting to go receiver. If it's the best player on their, their board, if, you know, if they have one of those receivers as a top five pick, certainly it makes sense. But I think ultimately Joe Douglas wants to build through the trenches. And if this season goes to shit, he could be on the line. I mean, he could, he could get fired. And I don't think he wants to go out without, you know, really attacking the offensive line. That's what he what he came here, what he said he was going to do, and and make it break it make it or break it season for him. You know, I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case for him, but it's possible. Um, I think he's going to really attack the offensive line. So ultimately, I think they go. Um, we'll do a mock draft at the end of this podcast. Ultimately, I think they go offensive line back to back, and they they trade one of those seconds to Green Bay. Um, you know, I don't know if you have anything else to to touch on that, but I you you mentioned Quentin Jefferson as well. You wrote an article uh, at Jets X Factor kind of talking about what he brings to the table. I mean, I think defensive tackles mildly concerning. I mean, we'll see about, um, you know, if, if Quentin Williams is able to stay healthy and, and whoever they draft or, or sign as well, um, you know, the rotation could be fine. wonder if they play John Franklin Myers inside a lot more, especially considering the depth that they have outside between Huff and Clemens and Johnson and, and Carl Lawson. Um, so what do you think of that move and, and what do you think about defensive tackles as a whole? Because we've been focusing a lot on the offensive line, but the defensive line has, you know, kind of a, a mid-sized hole uh, right in the middle. So what do you think? 
Yeah, it was a uh, it was a long time coming for them to address it, and they made attempts. You know, they tried to get Fletcher Cox. Apparently, offered him more money, and Cox said later that he was really considering the Jets. It was a you know serious consideration for him, and he was checking the Jets roster to see if number ninety one was available. So it seems like that almost happened. Then they were going to meet with Clay's Campbell, and he signs with the Falcons. So uh, it seems like they had their sort of vision in mind of who they wanted to replace Rankins. They wanted a, a veteran who could get after the quarterback. And I, I think they ended up getting that. And Quinton Jefferson isn't obviously to the level of notoriety or accolades of Fletcher Cox or Clay's Campbell, who are both six-time Pro Bowlers. But in terms of pass rushing, I think Quinton Jefferson's going to come in here and I think he'll be an upgrade over Rankins and fit right into this pass rush and push its, uh, push its ceiling even higher. He was he had the fifth best pressure rate among defensive tackles last year, um, career high in sacks, and he's consistently very high in terms of pressures. So he's a guy who I think is going to help the pass rush. But the question I have with this move is that his run defense is the polar opposite of his pass rushing He's a very low-ranked run defender pretty consistently, and I watched some film to try and see if you know that was maybe a misleading number, but it definitely looks like a question. He gets moved in the run game quite a bit, so um, and it's backed up in the way his teams have used him. He, every year he plays very high percentage of his snaps against the pass. This past year was um, over 60%. Um, his career average is 66%, which is... Very, very high. Usually the average for D tackles is about 56% against the pass. So what that tells you is that his teams have tried to put him on the field in passing situations, keep him off the field in those run situations. And, you know, that makes it that makes me wonder if the Jets are going to maybe change the way they do things with that D line rotation this year. Because last year it was it wasn't really situation based. They would kind of just take out the both starters at the same time and put them both backups for a whole drive every once in a while. Um, Cause you know, we saw that a lot where it would just be, you know, Nathan Shepard and Solomon Thomas for a whole drive, maybe once a quarter to give some rest to Quinn Williams and Rankins. Uh, they didn't really, you know, make those rotations based on, you know, short yardage. Now it's third and long. Um, well, well, they did have their third down packages. Obviously every team does, but um you know, for the most part, it's it was just, you know, rotating based on rest. But with Quentin Jefferson coming in now and, you know, they're meeting with Al Woods, who's the opposite of Jefferson. He's a great run stuffer, big bodied guy who's not much of a pass rusher. Um, so they get that type of defensive tackle and Quentin Jefferson, who's very pass heavy over the run game. I wonder if they're going to maybe change this rotation and start to do it based on okay, it's a rundown, let's get our run package in there. It's a passing situation, let's get our pass package in there. Because uh, it's not really something they did a ton of last year. It's more a rotation based on just rest and getting guys to a certain snap count. So I wonder if, uh, with Quentin Jefferson coming in here, if they're going to start to do that more. Because I think his pass rushing is really solid. Uh, he's explosive off the line, great athlete. He's a good penetrator on stunts. I think he's... His hustle, chasing down plays, you know, when quarterbacks are flushed out of the pocket for a defensive tackle is really good. He'll chase guys down to the sideline. And I think he's a good bull rush, and he's going to create some pocket cave-in that could flush the quarterback out into the edge rush. So 
pass rush. I think he's a great addition and he pushes the ceiling even higher, but uh, does have a lot of weaknesses in the run game. And I'm interested to see how they work around that in terms of how they distribute the snaps. What do you think about uh, JFM's future on this team? I mean, do you think it's possible that he gets more reps uh, inside and I mean, maybe even Michael Clemens inside in that, that defensive tackle role. We saw it a little bit towards the end of the season. It just feels like they have so much depth at, at the edge spot. And especially in the, those big game moments at the end of the season, they want to have their best four guys out there, you know, per situation. I agree with you completely that the, the a team B team substitution method was frustrating at times. It, it can make sense, but especially if they bring in a guy like Al Woods and they bring in a guy like Quentin Jefferson, who seem like specialists in different areas it would be wise to to put player these players in the, in the best chance for them to succeed. So, uh, ultimately, though, I, I think JFM is the, the the most interesting piece to watch because he's a guy who's shown the versatility to be a three tech defensive tackle right alongside Quentin Williams, and you could plug in Jermaine Johnson if if he's having a a breakout sophomore season, you know, and, and presumably Carl Lawson on the other end uh, as well, or, you know, he, he's shown the ability to play that edge role, that, that big defensive end spot that Sala seems to like. It's certainly shown up in the run game, but do you think that JFM's, you know, best downs might be inside a, a defensive tackle? I mean, what do you think? I mean, if they're not able to bring in another veteran like Al Woods, especially, it seems like the wisest move might be able to give more defensive tackle reps to, to JFM. But like you said, I mean, I guess Quentin Jefferson is, is more of a pass rusher. So that, might be a conflict of interest. Just what do you think about the JFM's future? I think there's a possibility. It, I, for me, I think it really comes down to what they think of those young edge rushers and can those guys handle more snaps on the edge? Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens, and Bryce Huff. Can those guys prove that they could you know, improve in their respective areas of weakness so they could play more snaps? And we know what those areas are for each guy. For Huff, it's the run game. Can he show them he can stop the run? Um, and then for Johnson and Clemens, both of them can improve as pass rushers. Uh, I think they both provided great run support last year, but it's can they be more consistent in the passing game? And if any of those guys can answer those questions and they demand more snaps, then I think that's when JFM can maybe get pushed inside, you know, translate some of those edge snaps to interior snaps because I don't think JFM's overall snap count is going to decrease because he's such a versatile, valuable player who's played really well for them, and they signed him to a nice, lucrative extension, so they value him quite a bit. He's not going to play fewer snaps. It's just that if the young guys on the edge are demanding more snaps, then they're going to have to take some of those reps from him. Then at that point, I think you could see JFM worked inside a little bit more, um, closer to that role that he played in that 2020 breakout season when he was uh, a very electric interior pass rusher, which we do see in glimpses. Uh, the you know this past season on third downs, he would get kicked in there pretty frequently, and he did a nice job in those situations. So so I could see it, but um, just the fact that you can have this discussion of you know where is he going to play and still be excited about him at either spot, I think is what earned him that extension and makes him a really valuable piece of this defense because even on the edge he can. He makes a great impact. I mean, I was just watching, rewatching some Sauce film earlier, and you think back to that Miami game when Sauce got his first interception. It's JFM winning off the edge around the corner, hitting Skylar Thompson's arm that creates that interception opportunity for Sauce. Uh, so he's still a solid pass rusher on the edge, better inside, but he's still solid 
on the edge. And his run defense out there was very underrated how important that was. He was great at setting the edge and helped the Jets defense uh, avoid getting gashed on some of those outside runs. So um, I like JFM in this defense. And regardless of where they play him, I think he's going to make an impact. And just giving you the ability to play those different roles gives you a lot of flexibility and uh, allows you to move the chess pieces around in the best way possible. Yeah, and when you look at the, the rest of the defense, I think you know the, the two contracts that really stand out to me are Jordan Whitehead and, and Carl Lawson. And kind of circling back to what we were saying at the beginning of this podcast, where are the Jets going to get the money for uh, Aaron Rodgers? It seems like they're not you know going to get OBJ, but like you said, they might make a, a move via trade or another big signing. Um, where are they getting that money? When you look at these these veterans, specifically Whitehead, do you think he's out of here? I mean, it seems like him and Clark kind of fill the same role as as safeties who are most effective in the box. It's possible they could keep both of them and and give Clark you know a lot more reps at at linebacker uh, and you know keep keep Whitehead as the safety. But it just seems like freeing up seven million to you know on a guy like Whitehead who certainly underperformed last year. Seems like it makes a lot of sense. And then when you look at the other contracts, Carl Lawson, Corey Davis, I mean, what do you feel about their futures? You know, considering it's April 9th and, and we still don't know, and I think these were the, the three guys that we were all talking about entering the offseason as as likely cap casualties. So so what do you think about uh, the futures of these three Jets? Whitehead is interesting because I think we all considered him a pretty obvious cut candidate coming into the offseason, but here we are and he's still on the team despite them trading for Chuck Clark who pretty much plays the same position or role. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, do they think Whitehead and Clark are going to compete? Maybe they, you know, let that play out and just keep Whitehead as a backup if he gets beat out. I mean, he'd be an expensive backup obviously on his contract. Maybe they, you know, they would have some leverage for a pay cut, so maybe they would go for that. So that that one's interesting, and there's still a hole of free safety, and I don't think, like, I don't think these two guys can start together because there's just not, there's really no deep coverage skill between the two of them. Both of them, you know, offer some good stuff in the box, but if you know you're asking someone to play deep coverage, I don't think you prefer either of those guys to be there. So for them both to start is not ideal, and they still need that free safety. But I wrote about this guy pretty recently. I wonder if they're confident in Tony Adams to step up into that role. That's not to say that I think they're ignoring free safety because they're just going to throw Adams right in there based on two games that he played last year. But he was really impressive in those two games where he filled in at free safety at the end of the year. And I do feel like they are confident that he can at least compete and make a strong play for that role. And if it does come down to him playing it, uh, earning that starting spot at free safety, I think they would be okay with that. I mean, he made the team as an undrafted free agent, which is hard to do. You have to really impress the coaching staff to pull it off. He had a great preseason, great training camp. Uh, and then he played special teams throughout the year. When he got his shot at the end of the season, I thought he looked very solid at free safety in those last two games. So I wonder if Tony Adams is in part of their plan at free safety. I mean, what do you think? Could you see Adams being the starting free safety in week one? Or who do you, if not, who do you think they might add or what path will they take to add some competition there? It certainly seems like he's probably their best option at this point. I mean, I think we kind of thought they might be able to sign a guy like Jimmy Ward and free agency, but 
we had talked about it. You know, if the Jets are going to go all in on this season and they're going to really spend big at, at quarterback or, you know, wherever else they might make these moves, they're going to have to trust the young guns at, at other positions. You know, I think I look at safety and linebackers, the two where it's like, you know, obviously they're paying a lot of money to Mosley, but if Mosley goes down, who's playing linebacker? Probably Jamie and Sherwood. I mean, they might be able to bring back Juan, uh, obviously Quincy Williams, but you know, they're going to have to entrust one of these, these young draft picks from two years ago to, to, to come in, you know, fulfill the, the destiny that we talked about for two years ago about that pipeline of young talent, you know, developing, um, you know, on the bench and then coming in and being able to be fulfilling starting players. I think that Tony Adams certainly could, could do that based off the two game sample size. Like you said, it's, it's not very big. It's possible he could go out there and just get absolutely toasted and be a, a, a weak link in the secondary. But I think because the jets have such strong cornerback play, I think that is, I think free safety is the position that they could go uh, and take a gamble on a young player like Adams and try to get, you know, a, a great season out of an undrafted uh, player. I, I think that it's probably ultimately the move that they go at this point. I mean, is there anybody in the free agent market that you like? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody at, at this point that that stands out to me. And and considering that they're going to have to give up picks in this in this Rogers deal, and they have to address needs on the offensive and defensive lines, it just kind of seems like at this point Adams might be might be their best option. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was limited to start with, and they couldn't get Jimmy Ward. They couldn't get. I mean, there was Tashawn Gibson was a decent veteran option, but it really wasn't that deep. And what was there is pretty much off the board. I mean, there's John Johnson, there's Adrian Amos, although Amos has declined a lot. And Johnson is kind of a veteran who's not really too much to write home about. So, I mean, they'll, looking at these I mean, they'll options, probably draft one, right? I mean, yeah, and I, I think they'll probably draft one at some point. But then again, you're just talking about another late round draft pick. I don't know. I think it's Tony Adams season. I, at some point, you got to, you know, have these types of players hit at certain positions. You're not going to be able to fill every position in your starting lineup with a first round pick, second round pick, expensive free agent trade. Like there aren't, you know, there aren't enough premium assets to go around to fill every single position. There are some spots where you're going to have to make it work with a lower tier free agent or a, you know, low draft pick or an undrafted rookie, you know, a player who may not have been the biggest investment. And I think the good teams are, the best teams in the league are the ones who thrive at making those players work rather than, than them being weaknesses. I mean, you look at the chiefs this past season and you know, the chiefs are the chiefs because of Mahomes and Andy Reid, obviously, and Travis Kelsey. But I mean, they had so many contributors in to this team after they lost Tyree kill, lost other starters who were low draft picks and, you know, rookies and second year players. So um, you really need to find those players and be able to develop that talent out of spots where you're not supposed to get that type of production. So I think Tony Adams has a chance to be that guy on the defensive starting lineup this year. You know, the guy who comes out of nowhere is playing because they just didn't have enough resources to fill everything, but makes a good impact and is a sort of a hidden gem. So I'm on the Tony Adams bandwagon right now. Yeah, at this point, it seems like that that seems to be the route the Jets are going. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room, the Aaron Rodgers trade, yet to happen. April 9th, we're sitting here. No agreement. We'll see if the OBJ signing with the Ravens moves anything. I don't know necessarily why it would, but it kind of seems like if OBJ was going to sign on Monday, 
maybe the Rogers deal gets done. Do you feel like this this drags out to to the draft, or do you think we are uh, approaching the end date? I I still am going to stick by my prediction that it's going to and to you know disclaimer here. This wasn't my initial prediction. It's kind of uh, a, a rapidly changing prediction. Maybe I've had this locked in for two or three weeks by now, but I think it's going to be the day before the draft. That's what I'm going to, that's what I've been thinking since it was clear that this was something that was going to drag on. And I still feel like it's going to be that. I think the jets feel like they have the, the leverage to oh, had to use the word, uh, but I do think they have the leverage to, hold the Packers out until the draft and, you know, make them cave in at that point, because I just don't see the Packers allowing this thing to go on without getting 2023 draft picks. It's just, you know, Jordan Love is coming to the starting lineup. They want to help him as much as possible. And I don't think, you know, you want to watch Aaron Rodgers play for another team this year and not have any immediate, you know, benefits in, in exchange for, letting him go to another team. So, and, and plus the Jets draft picks could worsen. Um, and, you know, they just don't have the ability to threaten to keep him because we just, it's just so preposterous to think of him even being on the roster. So, yeah, I think it'll happen the probably the day before the draft, maybe on draft day, but I think it'll go right up to the wire there. And then the Packers will cave in. Yeah, they just have to make us sweat. I mean, they just have to make us nervous about it. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's probably going to be the, the week of the draft. Day before the draft certainly makes sense. I mean, it's just about which team caves first. You know, I thought the Elijah Moore trade, and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on it a little bit more, was a signal, a signal to me that, that things were moving in the right direction, that things were happening. It seems very clear to me that the only reason the Jets would make that trade is they really had somebody they liked in the second round, and they looked at Elijah and said, look, this probably isn't a player we're going to be able to pay in two years. He is coming off a year where he really didn't do anything. And yes, the quarterback play was, was, you know, tragic, but you know, you saw what Garrett Wilson was able to do. And, and yes, Elijah Moore got open on film, but you can't lie. It was certainly disappointing compared to his rookie season. So this is a player that you're selling on the low. Yes, but it's also possible, you know, while I do believe in Elijah Moore and I think he might go to Cleveland and have a, you know, a great few seasons here. It's also possible he goes there and does nothing. And then you'd look at this as an absolute win. But if Elijah Moore is the player that, you know, to be fair, we've been talking about him as, I think you look at this trade, if, if you're the Browns, I mean, just just flip roles. If, if this were the Jets and you say, okay, you move back, you, you collect a third, and then you take a guy, a receiver that you would have taken in the second round anyways. I mean, I think any team would take Elijah Moore with with the, the 42nd pick. I think, I think that's what they gave up for anyways. Um so, you, you know, you, you take Elijah Moore with your second round pick and add out a third? Hell yeah. So from from that perspective, I mean, I think the value of the trade certainly wasn't one of those that you think you, you'll look back and hang your hat on as, if you're Joe Douglas. But in terms of, okay, we want to get this deal done with Aaron Rodgers. We want to draft somebody uh, with our second round pick, most likely a center is what I would bet. I would have thought they would have added OBJ, which really would have softened the blow of, of trading Elijah Moore. But now with not getting OBJ, do, do, do you keep Corey Davis? I mean, just kind of unpack your thoughts of, of the Elijah Moore deal now, knowing that the Jets aren't getting OBJ. Because I think a lot of us were grading that, saying, okay, the Jets get an extra second and they're getting OBJ. But now the Jets have to pivot somewhere else. So, so what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the lead-up to that trade, I was pretty adamant 
on the pro keeping Elijah Moore train. And then pretty quickly it happens that they trade him. Um, and, and that was, you know, in comparison to Odell, because those rumors were kind of growing before the trade happened. And I was, you know, saying they should keep more and not go after Beckham. But then the trade happens. And like you said, we start assuming that Beckham is going to come in and fill his place. But now we know that's not happening. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think the trade compensation was the greatest. I know if you look at the trade chart, you know, the classic one that it technically comes out to the value of a third round pick, I believe. But that chart is kind of outdated. You know, the the Jimmy Johnson one that kind of gets referenced. Um, there are there are more modern ones that kind of use more accurate data that equated that trade to more the value of like a fifth round pick, I believe. So uh, it, I really didn't like the value of the trade, to be honest. And uh, I think there's definitely logic to it. Like it's not a terrible package because as you explained, I think it is nice to have the luxury of, okay, we can give up a second round pick for Rogers and still make our second round pick here. And if you keep that first round pick, you can get Aaron Rodgers still make your first round pick and a second round pick. And that's a nice luxury for sure. But at the same time, I think let's be real. If you told us that would be the trade return for Elijah Moore before that trade happened, I think we would (laughs) probably laugh at it because we were looking for probably third round pick straight up. I think is probably what we were going to, you know, that's probably what we would settle at. I mean, it's hindsight now, but I mean, we might have discussed it. I'd be interested interested to go back and listen to exactly what we were saying. But I think I was probably on third round pick straight up. So just moving up around is a little disappointing. But we'll see what he does in Cleveland. I was optimistic he would break out with the Jets uh, with better quarterbacking this year because I liked his film and the separation he had. And uh, I think the production was misleading based on how often he was open and how infrequently he was actually getting good passes thrown his way or even targeted at all. So yeah, I, I was a fan of keeping him and seeing what he could do, but um, we'll see what happens. And I think there is credence to the idea that having two second round, second round picks is a good fallback uh, with the Rogers trade, definitely costing you at least one of those first round picks. But, um, but yeah, we'll see what they do going forward. I mean, we talked about it earlier, do they want to build this really strong wide receiver unit, despite it already being a, a nice group as it is, you know, do they make a veteran move, use a high draft pick, but uh, yeah, I think it, it, it'll be interesting. It all, it all comes down to how he does in Cleveland. I think how we're going to look back on this trade on this trade in the end, because if he keeps producing how he did last year, regardless of, you know, what we may have thought he could be or his potential was, I, I think we'll feel fine about this trade. But if he becomes the guy that I think a lot of us Jets fans thought he could be, then, you know, it's not going to look great in hindsight. But uh, the Jets do still have plenty of talent at wide receiver. So I think they maybe thought he was expendable in a way, just in the sense that um, maybe I don't think they assumed they were getting Beckham, but, you know, Corey Davis is still there. And I think maybe he they view him as, this ultimate fallback fallback option kind of, you know, if you don't get Beckham and, you know, we can trade more and we still have Corey Davis here who gives us a fourth guy now that we've signed Lazard and Hardman. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've mixed feelings on the more trade. 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, Joe Douglas has won so many trades just right off the bat. You can look at it from a value perspective and say, oh, you know, Joe Douglas robbery yet again. This is not one of those. I think this is certainly one of those where Douglas came into the negotiation and probably offered, you know, Elijah Moore for a second and maybe a fourth, you know, maybe a fifth. Who knows? But this was certainly one that that he walked away from the table having to concede that that third round pick. I can't imagine that was his initial offer, but it just signals that they really like somebody in that the beginning of the second round. And the position that really makes sense is center. There's plenty um, that are going to be available in that area. Is there one in particular? I know we're, we're, we're just starting to dig into the draft prospects, but we'll, we'll do a mock draft right at the end of, of, uh, of this episode. But it seems like that's probably the position. I mean, again, we, we said it earlier, we don't want to get too much into to a shopping list. Maybe there's a receiver they like there, a safety, an offensive tackle. But you'd imagine if they were so fervently trying to get that, that second-round pick back, it doesn't really make sense otherwise. Um, who do you think they're, they're, they're targeting um, if they're, they're really trying to have a pick in that area? Well, I think, you know, like you said, center is a big one there. Even if they do sign Ben Jones, I could see them doing that because – I mean, the Eagles, Joe Douglas's former team, are, you know, they're a team that have stockpiled offensive line talent. They drafted Landon Dickerson last year, planning for him to take over at center for Jason Kelsey. And then Jason Kelsey now is still here two years later. And so now Dickerson's playing guard for them, and he's been pretty good. So you just build that pipeline. I think it's important on the offensive line and just have young guys ready to step in. Uh, when your veterans move on or they struggle or whatever, I think it's good to have that. And as much as Joe Douglas has drafted high for offensive linemen, I don't. I think I expected him to take more swings at lower round linemen than he has because he hasn't done a ton of that. I believe outside of Beckton and AVT, he's only picked Cameron, uh, Cameron Clark and Max Mitchell in three drafts, which is okay, but I definitely would have expected at least one of those per draft and maybe two in one of them. So uh, so I think we could start to see him do that in this in this draft, even if they do sign a Ben Jones. So that's definitely up there. But uh, second round is the position, like we said, the last two years they kind of made a surprise pick in terms of, of the position with Elijah Moore a couple of years ago. It was a little surprising. The Brees Hall last year is very surprising. So uh, maybe they – let's say they – I think this is an interesting option. Let's say they do take a wide receiver in the first round. Maybe you go with the tackle here because there are, you know, tackles at this part of the draft, I think will be there. Um, that second wave is possible. Second, maybe third wave is, I think there could be a run around this part of the draft. So that's on the table. Uh, maybe they go for defensive tackle here. So there, there are a number of options. Second round has been the wild card for Joe Douglas these past few years and um, we'll see what they do. Obviously last year was successful with Brees Hall, uh, Elijah Moore. I mean, we thought that was going to be a successful pick it, I guess in the long run it wasn't, but he does seem like a pretty talented player, but um, I, I think this is the part of the draft where I'm hesitant to put a specific posi- position on it. I think in round one, we know what the priorities are going to be. It's, Offensive tackle first and foremost. Maybe you go for the, you know, enticing luxury at receiver. Beyond that, it's hard to see anything else. But here, I think this is where you got to start taking that mentality of the Jets are going to take the best player on their board 
regardless of the position. Is there any chance that they keep both second round picks? I mean, I guess the, the better question would be, what does this Rogers trade look like um, to you? I mean, I think we're assuming that they made this trade given that they're going to give up one of those second round picks, but you know, it's possible they could do a pick swap with the Packers in the first round. You know, maybe they give up more conditional picks down the road. I mean, we don't really know what this trade is going to look like, but it sounds like one of those second rounders is going to be involved. Corey Davis has been floated around. So I guess the best question I ask you is what do you think this Rogers trade looks like and how does it impact the draft? I, I don't, think there's a way they keep both second rounders right i mean unless they just give up 13 straight up or they give up a future first but i don't i don't think they have any interest in giving up first round picks i think that's part of why the discussions have gone on so long uh for me i guess my my prediction right now would be a second one of these two second rounders let's just say the higher one so 42 um a fourth round pick or the fourth round pick the Jets have this year and a conditional third round pick next year that can upgrade based on, you know, how many games Rogers plays uh, Super Bowl, stuff like that. And the thing that I'm wondering the most about is whether the Jets will get that protection that they apparently wanted, you know, the um, conditional pick to where if Rogers doesn't play next year, the Jets get something back in 2025. That was the rumor. I think it was Albert Breer who brought it up a couple weeks ago. So I'm wondering if they get that because it's that would kind of be an unprecedented sort of thing, to my knowledge, at least. I don't remember anything off the top of my head that kind of worked like that. Um, but uh, I could see them getting that in there. But I think the basis of this is going to be second-round pick this year. I think the Jets will be throwing in another one of their later picks this year and a conditional pick next year that has high potential based on incentives. With that said, shall we get to the mock drafts? Let's do it. How many, how many rounds do you want to do? I mean, we can, we can do three. I mean, okay, so we both know we're really, not gonna... two, really two then. Yeah. Are we, are we drafting uh, that's the, true. the two second right. round picks? Or are we Three always sounds nice. I wasn't even thinking that okay. we don't have okay. it. How about, how about this? We'll go four rounds so we get three picks. Plus, so if, my, if my trade package played out, they wouldn't even have that fourth round. Okay, so. you know what? Two rounds plus a Rogers mock trade package. How's that sound? Okay, that sounds good. All right, and we'll do it live too. All right. All right. All right. Hold on. Let me let me refresh this page. Um, all I'm thinking about right now is just, uh, do I want to take the receiver and be fun? And you know, just hearing Garrett Wilson talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba gets me so excited. And thinking about, you know, look, you have a a potential, not a potential, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of smart to go young at receiver and let these guys develop under a Hall of Famer. Because then, by the time that Hall of Famer retires, you still have you're still left with terrific receivers that have had a chance to fully develop. You know where they might not have if they were subjected to Zach Wilson or or, or whatnot. So the young receiver is exciting, but if if I'm being realistic, I really think that that offensive line is is the right move. So I don't know if you you've already made your pick. I don't know if I stalled long enough for you, uh, but who'd you go with at at 13? And also, what what simulator are you using? I just 
Think I'm using Are we doing a team up mock draft or should we both be doing our own right uh, now? There are separate ones. Come on now. All right. We'll oh, damn. I got ones. a tough board. I'll stick with it, but I got a tough board. Actually, all right. Never mind. Starting my mock draft right here. What are you using? And here we go. Uh, I'm on the PFF one. Okay. I'm on Pro Football Network. So we're on two different big boards, I guess. Um, all right. Well, that'll mix it up. Yeah. But uh, here we go. Wow. All right, this is a pretty interesting board. Can you give us, give us so, the delay of the land. Well, in terms of tackles, Peter Skaronsky is off the board. Um, what's, what's Quentin the... Johnson actually went at receiver number ten, but Jackson okay. Smith Najigba is still here at number thirteen. Yeah, what, because what, of that pick. What's your like top five available? Your uh, in terms of this board, yeah, they have. Uh, Smith Najigba, Kalijah Kansi, Dalton Kincaid, Deontay Banks, and Brian Branch. But uh, they have Paris Johnson pretty low hmm. um, and Broderick Jones. But they are both still available. So uh, this is, I guess, that re- realistic tough scenario here where you have Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones versus Jackson Smith Najigba. I mean, I got to go with my brain over my heart here and make the smart pick, and that's the offensive line. And between these two guys, toss-up right now, but let's go with Paris Johnson. That's my pick here. So did you make your pick yet? I have not, but I heard what you said. Um, the best guys available for me, yes, Jackson's put the jig, but I'm going to really struggle with that name, the entire draft prospect uh, process. Uh, he's available, Peter. We can, we can just call him JSN. Okay, JSN. Although even that doesn't easier. sound great. I don't know why his name is. Yeah, okay. JSN, Peter. You know, this is the other one. Skaronsky. Again, I mean, it's just the. It's a tough draft class uh, in terms of the names. Uh, Jordan Addison's available. I don't think they would really go. I mean, again, we don't want to get into the habit of of shopping for positions, but like Lucas Van Ness is an intriguing edge prospect. You know, I think they might target target corner on day three, but I think they're probably overlooking that. Here's a quick random off-topic question. Yeah. Or it is on topic, but let's say they were to take a surprise position at 13 that's not tackle and receiver. Is there, is there any you could see yes. you know, yes. being in that mix, and what is it? Tight end. That's the one position I, like I could it. see. I, like I could it. see if they, they really fall in love with, with Michael Mayor or, or Dalton Kincaid. I think it's a really strong tight end draft class. So I don't think it's going to be a 13, but it really wouldn't surprise me if they take a, th- a tight end in this draft class because I think most likely Con- – I mean, I know they restructured their deal, so we'll see exactly what it looks like. But I think most likely Conklin and Uzama are out of here, especially if, if Rodgers is only for one season. If Rodgers comes back, maybe that changes things. Maybe they keep one of the two. But if they really fall in love with the tight end uh, in this class, it's a, it's a strong uh, class for the tight end. It wouldn't surprise me. I think most likely, again, we don't want to get into that habit. We've done it every year. But I, I think most likely at 13, you're looking at a tackle and maybe a receiver. It, the wild card would be tight end. You know, I guess there's the tackle. tackle. Like yeah. if there's a surprising fall from Carter. Brian Brees, uh, Breesy or like, you know, you know, yeah, exactly. Jalen Carter, if he falls. I, I, although I don't, he doesn't really sound like a, the type of guy that that Saul and Douglas would take a chance on. I mean, you could clearly see they've emphasized the high character locker room guys, and you know, Jalen Carter might be a, a great guy, but certainly a lot of red flags on his pre-draft profile. Regardless, uh, you went with the tackle. I'm tempted to take uh, Peter Skoronsky, 
just because I feel like he, he, he fits what the Jets are trying to do in, in finding athletic, agile offensive linemen, versatile offensive linemen, you know, they, they can pin and pull with. And I think that, you know, he gives them some positional versatility, especially if they don't know exactly where they're going to play Mekhi Becton or AVT or Dwayne Brown. But just to be different, I'll go with JSN. You know what? Let's do it. I'll say, you know what? Joe Douglas is going to stick to – it worked for him last year. Take the best player on his board. Who cares about positional value or trying to build through the trenches? The Jets clearly love Sauce Gardner. Let's say they they love JSN. Take one of the best players in the class and, and pair him with Garrett Wilson and have fun. Um, curious to see what we're going to be doing on offensive line. I, I guess – you know, we, we promised a, a Rodgers trade with this, Michael. So I guess before we get to these second round picks, what does your Rodgers trade look like? What are the Jets giving up? Yeah, I guess I'll roll with what I said earlier. We'll give up 42 here. Um, we'll give up the fourth round pick at, uh, what is that, number 112, is it? Uh, I forget exactly what the number is. I'm pulling it up. I'm stalling. It is 112. <laughs> All right, so we're giving up 42, or yes, 42, 112, and conditional third-round pick next year. I mean, does that seem fair, or would yeah. you give up less? I, I think that seems fair. I mean, I think the – I don't think the Jets are going to get a conditional pick back in, ter- in terms of 2025 if, if Rodgers doesn't play. The trade that I see is, yeah, one of those either 42 or 43, I mean – doesn't matter, but I'll say 43. I think Corey Davis goes to reunite with Matt LaFleur. Um, I'll say a conditional 2024 fourth round pick. That's a third round pick. If Rogers plays, you know, 80% of the snaps, a second round pick, if they go to the playoffs and a first round pick, if they win the Super Bowl, and you know, maybe a, a fifth round pick this year. I think the fact that the Jets already traded the third round pick, I'm more hesitant to give up that fourth round pick this year just because it's just such a huge gap. And especially in a class like this, it's just, you know, not as top heavy, just kind of a lot of, uh, it's a deep class, but a lot of similarly rated players to just have no picks from, you know, 42 or 43, wherever you're giving up all the way until you're, your fifth round. I just think that's a little bit too much to swallow for, for, for Joe Douglas. It's possible they could give up a fourth and, you know, or give up a, a fourth and get the package fourth back or something. You know, I imagine this trade is going to be a little bit more complicated than what we're laying out, but I think right. it's pretty fair to assume that they're going to give up one of the 40 picks and, you know, a, a package of other picks and, and maybe Corey Davis. With that being said, Michael, I will say I think I got lucky on 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 the guys that are available for me at, at 42 um, because Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee, who I've watched a little bit in this pre-draft process, and I, and I really like him. I think he's, you know, he might not be as athletic and as explosive as some of the, the tackles at, at the top of the draft in terms of like a, a guy like Broderick Jones, but, you know, a really steady right tackle for Tennessee this season, and I just think that he could come right in you know, slide right next to AVT opposite Becton at left tackle. And, you know, I'd, I'd be thrilled with that pick at 42. I have a feeling though, that he won't make it out of the first round. So it feels a little cheap to take him in this mock draft, but you know, uh, who did you settle on it at 42? I'll see if there's a, an alternate, a plan B if, if Darnell Wright is gone. Oh, a couple things quick before I go over my pick here. Uh, first on the thing you just said about, you know, maybe a pick swap in the trade. I just brought up the Packers list of picks here and looking at the hall of picks they have 
in this draft, I think there definitely is a real possibility that maybe that kind of swap happens here where the Jets give up that fourth but get a later pick back because the Packers have 10 picks in this year's draft. And most of those are, they have two fifth and four seventh and a fourth rounder. So I could definitely see that type of trade where the Jets swap picks, lose a lot of value, but at least stay in this draft and don't lose picks. Um, and then second thing, you mentioned Dewan Jones. Um, um, yeah, Dewan Jones in the second round. As Darnell, a potential Wright. Option. Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright. Dewan Jones is the guy I was going to talk about. I'm mixing up the tackle names here. Right. You mentioned Darnell Wright. You got Wright. two weeks, Michael. We got two weeks to nail it all down. Uh, but Dewan Jones is the guy I wanted to talk about because he is another guy who's sort of in that second tier of tackles, maybe second round option. And, you know, I'm a numbers guy and I've been looking at the, some of the numbers of these old tackle prospects. And he has as good numbers as anyone in terms of his pressures allowed and his run blocking stuff, all that, like, Numbers-wise, he's right on par with Skaronsky, Wright, Jones, all these top guys. And he's actually even better than his teammate, Paris Johnson, in uh, most of these categories. But, you know, the question mark with him is he's another one of these huge guys, sort of like Mekhi Becton, tall, a lot of weight, and there's just a lot of question marks that come with him. So um, I haven't watched any of him yet i do want to get to doing that and you know sort of see are these numbers telling lies is he maybe not as polished as the numbers are letting on but uh i mean, he's he's just fascinating because he is out, outstanding production and great size but obviously there's a lot of questions that come with that size so uh he's someone i'm keeping an eye on but i definitely want to watch some more of him um but looking at my board here are some of the guys available. Obviously, I uh, went with tackle in round one. So, I mean, here there are – this is a tough one. I mean, maybe tight end. That that tight end idea is intriguing to me because I know the Jets loaded up on it last year, but to, to get a dynamic type of guy would be really exciting in this offense. Uh, like a tight end with actual speed, playmaking ability could be exciting. Um, you're not you're not buying hype um, into Jeremy Ruckert. I I mean, I I sort of facilitated some of the hype because I was posting all those clips after the Dolphins game, I'm and saying. his dad is retweeting them and stuff. So, um, <laughs> I I like him a lot as a blocker. I'm just curious to see if he's going to bring any receiving impact. Right, like if they um, could get like Luke Musgrave, go yeah. Leaves, by the way, but you know, six five receiving tight end. And, you know, you've seen what George Kittle's been able to do in a, you know, obviously, somewhat different offense at this point, considering they've moved away from, from Michael Floor. But this West Coast offense, you can't ever have uh, enough tight ends. You know, if the Jets are able to add another tight end, and you have this guy, Uzama, Conklin, Rucker, you can play a lot of 13 personnel. You can be really versatile on how you use these guys. You know, you can uh, really improve your run blocking from this position as well. So I think tight end is one of those positions you've really seen a rise in in recent years. And, you know, more guys are deciding to play tight end in the last, you know, five, six years. And you're starting to see that talent uh, really blossom. And so I think the NFL should, you know, the Jets should take advantage of it, load up on tight end. And you can use a lot of those, those big, heavy tight end 
packages, especially since most NFL defenses are, are going lighter. They're going towards nickel looks. They're playing, you know, quarters coverage. If you can get a really strong tight end group and you can be able to run out of 12 personnel, 13 personnel, and you have these guys that you can able, you know, the, you know, that you can throw to as well. I think that's a, a really dynamic thing to add to an offense. So yeah, I would, I would really not be surprised if Douglas adds a tight end. I think it's probably unlikely it's in the first two rounds, just given their needs at, at offensive line and now receiver not getting OBJ. But I agree. It's a strong tight end class, and I would I would be on the lookout for it. Uh, I just really don't know what to do here. This is Like I said, this <laughs> I is – I was trying to give you some time to, to pick, but, you know. I appreciate that. And even with all the time, like I was scrambling through my options, like, all right, this is a good opportunity I'm getting here. I got to come up with a pick. That I can deliver when you turn to Go long term. Definitely an option, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think they will pick a quarterback. I just don't think it yeah, will be, be late until the third day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I really don't know. Like the the idea of taking center is good here, but John Michael Schmitz is gone in this there's, draft there's here. Good centers though. But uh, yeah, there are a couple other good centers. Tipman could go. Reipler. Um. Actually, here's here's a cool development. So I, I switched over to the Pro Football Network simulator because oh. the PFF board was throwing me off because theirs is a lot different than what you usually see. So I was that was mixing me up. So I switched to Pro Football Network. Yes, I cheated. <laughs> and now John Michael Schmitz is here. So let's take him. Okay. There we go. All right. So <laughs> Just you- like in the real draft, you could just re-simulate it if you don't like what happens. Yeah, pretty much. Fake board. Um, nice pro football network. I'm glad you switched from PFF. You should have known, considering how much we've trashed PFF on this podcast, <laughs> to not use their mock draft simulator, but whatever. Um, so just to recap, who'd you take uh, first overall? Uh, Paris Johnson. See, Paris Johnson, John Michael Smith. That, that's a great draft for the Jets. I mean, I think you'd walk away from that and feel very good about the wall they built in front of um, Aaron Rodgers, what what do you think about my draft? It's a little different. I tried to be different than you, but JSN and Darnell Wright, um, you know, I, I think in, in this type of scenario, they'd probably sign Ben Jones, um, in which case I'd be feeling pretty good about this offense. I mean, what do you think about about my draft? I, I, obviously, I think your I, draft is, is very yeah. safe, and I feel good about it. I think my draft maybe brings the, the higher ceiling with a guy like JSN just because of the fact that they don't have OBJ – Yes, it's nice to have the two offensive linemen. It's probably the smarter approach. But, you know, if Garrett Wilson goes down, who's your X receiver? Who's your go-to dynamic receiver that can really open up the passing game? You know, when you had Elijah Moore, yes, he was your slot. But if if Garrett Wilson went down, you know, I was still kind of confident that the Jets could build an offense around Elijah Moore as the centerpiece. Obviously, you trade him away. It's like, all right, well, if you have OBJ, you can do that with him. They don't get him. So who's the guy that can, that, that can slide in if, if – uh, if Garrett Wilson goes down, Alan Lazard, Corey Davis, Miko Hardman, maybe, but uh, that's what really, you know, uh, draws me to JSN, especially if he's, you know, a top 10 player on your board. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I kind of like your draft more because if you could land Jackson Smith and the Jigba at 13, and then still at the second round, get a good tackle prospect who you like, I think I, I would prefer that route. And, you know, as much as, I like the possibility of getting Paris Johnson and John Michael Schmitz or another good center prospect at that selection. It's still kind of risky to think about throwing two rookies into that starting lineup. Um, 
in front of Aaron Rodgers, hoping to chase the Super Bowl. So I think in your scenario, you would sign Ben Jones. You would plug him right in there. Um, and then you're looking at Ben Jones at center. Um, Darnell Wright goes in at tackle. And then you have Jackson Smith, the Jigba wide receiver, and you're able to fill those two O-line holes while still getting him. So I think I like yours better, to be honest. But uh, definitely if the Jets could land my haul, those two offensive linemen together, there's a lot of potential there as well. But there is also just some risk associated with a couple young starters. Yeah, and I'll be honest. After watching Donald Wright, I really don't think he makes it to 42. Um so I think it's, you know, somewhat unrealistic, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the possibility is still there for them to go and take a receiver at 13 and get, you know, a guy like Matthew Bergeron from, from Syracuse at 42. I mean, there's, there's plenty of offensive tackles that'll still be available. It's certainly the sweet spot for centers. That's why it's quite intriguing, but I think the free agent market for center, just honestly, just Ben Jones is more appealing to me than the tackle market. So it kind of makes sense to go sign the, the free agent center and draft a tackle I think between 13 or 42 or, you know, 43, whatever, whichever one they, they keep, they can find a good tackle there. Joe Douglas, I have the faith that he can find a good tackle there. If you have JSN as a top 10 player, who knows? Some some people might have him as top five player. I mean, the, the scouting reports of this guy a year ago were unbelievable. And Garrett Wilson thinks this guy is even better than, than himself. So it's possible he's a top five player for them. And if you're looking at him at 13, it's like, yes, we want to build through the offensive line, but you know what? We traded Elijah Moore. We didn't land OBJ. We have Aaron Rodgers. go all in. Let's get JSN who's played with Garrett Wilson before and, and build a really dynamic offense. And, you know, we'll get a tackle at 42. I think that's certainly a possibility for the Jets. It's, it's a little bit more outside the box. I think the conventional wisdom would say, take the tackle at 13, take the center at 42 and, you know, figure out receiver. You already have a, a hall of fame quarterback. He can, you know, he can turn Michael Hardman into a fantastic receiver on his own. He doesn't need to, to be, you know, coddled like you might want to surround a, a young quarterback with, but either way, I, I think you have to be excited about what Joe Douglas is building. You know, it seems like they're going all in on this year. It's a, Bit of a, a shame not to get OBJ. I'll, I'll completely admit I was I was fully ready to to waffle and be completely on board with the hype of of signing OBJ, especially after the Elijah Moore trade. But if we circle back to what we said about signing OBJ two or three weeks ago, you know we said, do we want to pay this guy fifteen million dollars a year who's coming off back to back, you know, uh, knee surgeries, hasn't been as productive, he's he's past his prime, he's a bit of a diva. Does that make sense for the Jets? We said no, unless they trade more. They traded more, but still looking at it, I mean, you know, there, there's still other options on the table for the Jets that, that I think are more appealing. So, Michael, before we get out of here, uh, any last thoughts? I, I can do the plugs. I know we there's, there's, there's one piece of uniform news we could talk about post-plugs, but uh, any of the last real news that, that 95% of the audience would like to listen to. Any other last thoughts you have? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think – both of you or both you and I are just going to stick with our initial Odell takes and just completely ignore all of the rationalizing we did the last couple of weeks. We I didn't rationalize him. too much. I got to be honest, but you know, I haven't, okay. I haven't been as active. Credit to you. Here. Cause I, I've definitely been doing if, that. And you know, if we were I, active in the podcast, I probably would have been ready to, to, to rationalize, but you know, I haven't been caught on record yet. But I, I mean, I think I was pretty fair about it. Like there was, 
definitely realistic potential with adding him, and he might have a great season with the Ravens. But definitely, I can't be upset about not Joe Douglas not giving him that contract. You know, like right. The price is the big thing. If he signed with them for seven, eight million, or whatever, it'd be like, "Hmm, well, that's interesting. He just decided to go there instead of going to the Jets. I would have liked to take that flyer, but at this price, I think throughout the entire process, I would have definitely said it it is. It is a shame. It's a little absurd for him. It is a shame, though. I mean, look, you land Aaron Rodgers, and that blows everything else out of the water, and so you don't really think about anything else. But so far, you know, Joe, Joe Douglas has taken some L's this this free agency period. I mean, if we're just trying to be fair and balanced, you know, Fletcher Cox thinks he has him signed, decides ultimately to go back to Philadelphia. OBJ, he's going to take a physical. He's flying to Florham Park tomorrow. That seems like that's going to happen. And then at the 11th hour, the Ravens up their offer, presumably, and, and taken to Baltimore. So, you know, the Jets have had Clay to. Uh, Campbell Clay Campbell signed before he was going to visit one. the yeah. Jets. Jake Brendel. Yeah, the thank you. Yeah, cool. yeah there's more. more. Money, so. Yeah, there's a lot more. They've taken there's been some a lot L's. of this this offseason. Joe Douglas has taken some L's, and I guess that's what happens when you're cap strapped. But ultimately, you get Aaron Rodgers, you make the right moves. I, I the, the moves they have made, I've really liked. I think the, the moves they haven't made can be somewhat frustrating. But again, you know, you, you're trying to uh, – make room for, for, for Aaron Rodgers and, and try to plan out a, a Super Bowl contending roster around him. It can be difficult. You know, I think we were all kind of counting on them cutting Carl Lawson. It is kind of exciting to see, okay, Carl is going to be back, maybe slightly overpaid based off his performance from last year, but still a hell of a player. And I'm really curious to see, can he get back to that level that he was at in 2021 in that, in that training camp where he was just, you know, going off the Achilles injury can often take a year. So I would imagine we're getting a better version of him. And even the version that we got last year, you know, he was still a damn good football player, good against the run, you know, was able to to create pressure, didn't get as many sacks, but he still created a a few. You know, I think the question was the Jets need cap room and he's overpaid, cut him. But this is still a damn good player. I still had the fear that he was going to go sign with, you know, Cleveland or some other team and and go off for, for 12 and a half sacks next year. Um, so yeah, I guess despite all the Jets misses, the fact that they get to keep Carl Lawson, I, I I'm going to be excited about, um, because I'm I'm optimistic in his ability, surprise, in his ability to to, to bounce back uh, from the Achilles injury and take the next step after last year. We'll ultimately see if that if that happens, but I guess that's kind of how I'm looking at it with with these free agency misses. Well, yeah, quickly on Carl Lawson, um, because I was definitely in the camp of cutting him at the start of this off season, and that was from a financial standpoint for the most part i definitely think he had a solid year last year but it was just the fact that you know they could cut him very easily to save 15 million dollars i don't think he played up to that level last year and with the jets being so cap strapped i thought it was the right move and because they had the pipeline of talent to and this is really the biggest reason i think because they had the all those young players behind him who are capable of stepping up into that role and taking over those snaps, improving and doing it at a, you know, on cheap contracts as young players for now. Um, so because of all that, I was pro cutting him, but I think as the off season has gone on now that he's still here, I I've started to see the logic more of keeping him because I think as optimistic as I am about these young edge rushers and a lot of us Jets fans are, I think the pragmatic way of looking at it, is we shouldn't assume these guys are going to take those leaps until they do because, you know, Bryce Huff, as much as we want to see him get more snaps and become a every down edge rusher, if the Jets were confident he could do that, then 
he would have been playing more snaps last year for him to never play in run situations is, you know, says something about what they probably think of his run defense and they should give him the chance to absolutely uh, to prove that he can improve, prove that he can improve in that area and be able to play more snaps so he can maximize pass rushing, but he still has to go out there and prove that he can do it. And then Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens have to prove they can take steps forward as pass rushers. So I think considering all that and just being realistic about their progression and knowing you have to see it before you can believe it. I think that's why Carl Lawson is staying because you know, you have uh, if none of those guys develop, if it doesn't work out how you hope you have Carl Lawson, he's a starter. He's a solid player at worst. That's what he showed you last year. Even if he didn't live up to the expectations we had, he was still above average and solid. And I think his run defense after rewatching the run defense film last year was much more competent than I thought it was. I, I thought he was a below average run defender. That was kind of his reputation. But after rewatching last year, he was solid. He was an above average run defender. Just didn't really make a lot of mistakes as a run defender. So I think that's why he stuck around because they just want that security in case those other guys don't break out. And I, I can definitely see him getting back to that, you know, peak level in the second year after that Achilles injury, uh, because I, I sort of had an epiphany recently when I was thinking about Carl Lawson and why he might've taken that step back. This should be interesting. It, it was puzzling to me. Why did he take the step back? Because he played every <laughs> almost like, game. Almost like he tore his Achilles and had to have two surgeries. Yeah, like that, that that was definitely could have been part <laughs> of it. But the reason it was puzzling for me was because, like, watching him play this year, despite the injury, he did look explosive. Like, he bowled tackles over. He would plow through them. His average get-off time from next-gen stats was one of the – I think it was the best in the league – or was it the best? I don't know. It was up there. It was one of the best. And you could see it when you were watching his film. So it was like, it was just puzzling to me because despite the injury, he did look explosive and you could see it. So it's like, why is he less productive? But I was, so I was watching his film. I was like, I don't see him doing as many outside moves and speed rushes as I remember him doing with the Bengals. So I got up out of my chair and I tried to do some outside moves oh my by God. myself oh no. in my bedroom. And I was like studying which, which muscles are used oh or are the most focused on while you're doing these outside moves around the corner. I'm like, wow, that Achilles is very important <laughs> in doing these. So I'm like, maybe that's why, like despite him being explosive, All right. maybe the part of the game where he was affected the most by the Achilles was those outside speed moves. And I think that, he didn't have confidence in doing that this year that and that made him more reliant on his power game and his bull rushes because I think he's predictable and one dimensional this year. And that's why he wasn't quite as good. He was still dominant at those power rushes. He was explosive off the line. He was a wrecking ball when he got into the chest of the opposing tackle, but that's pretty much all he did when he's with the Bengals. The reason he was so great and, you know, leading the league in quarterback hits and pressures and all that was because he had the power game and the explosion, but he also had outside moves. Right. He could beat you around the corner and he could work off that and go inside with the jets this year. We didn't see a lot of that. It was just pretty much all power. And so when I was watching throughout the season, it was confusing to me that he still looked athletic, but wasn't as productive. Right. But after thinking about it more and getting up and simulating <laughs> it myself, I was like, 
I could I could see why he may not have been fully confident in doing speed rushes. So I think with another year removed, hopefully he's more confident in that Achilles and making some of those outside moves, those speed rushes, and adding that element back into his game, making himself more multifaceted and getting back to being that all-around disruptive pass rusher he was with the Bengals. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> that was a fantastic. Well, that was a fantastic point, though, and I, I think you know. I think the other thing that that I have been thinking about, but you, you're absolutely right. From a physical perspective, those outside moves absolutely require explosion from that Achilles muscle. And you know, he not only had the surgery in August, but he had the surgery in December. And if, from what I remember in those training camp tweets in 2021, when he was just beating Mackay Becton every day, he was beating him around the edge. He was he was you know showing off that bend and those those, those speed pass rushing moves. So. That's a fantastic point by you. You know, I also I think you can attribute it sometimes, especially when a player misses a full year. I think one of the things as an athlete that, that you lose is just that timing. I mean, I just think when you haven't seen it for, for over a year, especially pass rushing, it's almost a martial art in its own its own right. Uh, it's just so much so much of it is on, on timing. And I think it, 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 watching Carl Lawson, I think you know, astute observation to, to, to notice that he might not have had the same explosion to, to get around with the, the, his quick moves. But I think watching him, sometimes he just kind of seemed like he was, you know, he had the good get off, but he just didn't really have the right plan or the right counter move to, to the tackles that he was facing. And he kind of just got jammed up and, and went for the bull rush. I understand not maybe having the athleticism, athleticism to go to his go-to moves on the outside, but it didn't seem like he was the same, um, Carl Lawson that we saw in Cincinnati, he seemed a little bit more hesitant with with piecing together moves and, and countering um, blocks. But I think that you know get, that gives me some hope because I think he's shown it, and I think another year uh, away from this Achilles injury and the, the more reps that he gets, the, the kind of more back into the flow of things that, that that he'll get. So I'm optimistic about Carl Lawson. You know, I think I, I'm not going to backpedal from what I said. I I probably would have moved on to from him and, and spent the money elsewhere. But I think it's, it's also possible a few months from now, like silly when the jets are, you have a defensive line of a bunch of killers that could just absolutely get after the, the, the QB. Cause that's been the key. And the jets have never been able to piece the two things together of having the QB and being able to get after the QB. Yeah. I've never watched the jets have both of those things. They definitely had getting after the QB last year, keeping Carl Lawson and letting Jermaine Johnson and Michael Clemens develop and whatever other moves they make in the defensive line, bringing back Bryce Huff, fantastic they can hopefully be even better than they were last year but adding having the qb assuming aaron Rodgers, you know joe douglas already on that uh, wfan event being like you know he's gonna be here hopefully that's not tampering but the the, the two of those things together the jets can overlook uh, a lot of holes on the rest of this roster so you know i'm just i'm, I'm very excited anxious to get this thing done um so at that being yeah, said michael so, i mean I, I mean, just quickly, I'm back yeah. to Carl Lawson. I'm I'm optimistic, and I'm like like you said, I'm not. I'll never walk back a previous opinion that we made. Like I, there was definitely a lot of credence to the idea of cutting him, but um, you know, I think after looking through it more, there's also a lot of reasons to believe that keeping him can work as well. So I'm optimistic to see what he can do this year and you know the Jets also love rotating their pass rushers keeping everyone fresh and so you can't have enough weapons if you want to do that because if Carl Lawson goes then you know the back of the depth chart is going to be weaker than it would be if you keep him so uh, I'm very excited to see what he could do and he's it's not like we're talking about an old guy here he's still 27 yeah he'll be 28 
on June 29th. And there's also that, you know, report after the season that he had the second uh, Achilles surgery. That was, uh, when was it? At the beginning, after the, yeah. So after the 2021 season, right. Or towards the end of it. Towards the end of it. Um, So, yeah. So it was closer to the beginning of this past season, 2022 than we thought. So, so yeah. And, and also new thing here. So while you're talking previously, I just, got up and I was simulating some pass rush moves in my bedroom. Again. Is that what you were doing when you turned and off the camera? Did, did it look like I turned off my camera? I thought you saw me doing it. Uh, probably it. a good thing you didn't see me doing it. It's not <laughs> My technique isn't precise, but um, I, I think I, I'm really <laughs> getting the full picture now because when you're exploding off the line, I feel like, and I'm not a you know scientist here of body mechanics or anything, but I feel like that's all kind of your quads and your hamstrings. So I can I can get why he was really good at that. And he still had the explosion and get off off the line of scrimmage and the power, but not quite the full all around yeah. game when it comes to the speed. Oh, and getting no, you're absolutely quarter, right. Because like if you if you see me here, I'm about to get up. Unfortunately, the people at home can't see this. But when you're going around the corner, it's like. <laughs> I just got that up. Was, oh my god! When you're going around the corner, it's like you, that really places that stress in your. Where'd you go, Michael? It was so fast, I didn't see you. Just like just covered it, all that distance. Go, yeah, like when you're turning the corner, it really places stress on that exact area. Well, where it also just makes sense. Achilles is so. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about the bull rush and, and, and your quads. I mean, just think about you know, I don't know if you've ever pushed a prowler before, but how much that just burns. Uh, your quads, and that's pretty much what the what the bull rush is. I actually, you know, as much as I want to clown you for for that little swim move you just did there, um, or I guess it was more of an outside dip. Um, you know, you're absolutely right in terms of that. Certainly makes sense. This was a huge part of his his arsenal, and I think one of the the common criticisms of Carl Lawson this past year was. You know, where are the counters? Where is this, you know, arsenal right. of weapons that you have? It's pretty much just bull rush every play. And, yeah, you're, you're creating some pushback and you're creating pressure. And, you know, I, I think you would notice him if he wasn't out there because guys like Quinnen and JFM were getting sacks and Rankins uh, because of the pressure that he's creating. But, you know, you want to see some more finishes. And I think he was certainly getting those in training camp in 2021. And so I'm optimistic about him. You know, as we said, maybe we would have gone a different way, but you can't hate it. And I'm, you know, we're not going to be. I think it's it's certainly possible we look like idiots if the Jets are are rolling out. You know, they're they're eight deep defensive line and constantly getting pressure on QBs, and they're just constantly fresh and rotating. That'd be pretty sick. So, with that said, I think we can get out of here. Um, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself Ben W Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That helps out the podcast a ton. Um, Michael, there is one piece of uniform news that we haven't talked about. Agent Zero. Jets, or the NFL, introducing uh, the number zero ah, yeah. for, yeah. for uh, Jets players. Who do you uh, want to be number zero? I was kind of you know penciling an OBJ. I thought that would be a top-selling jersey. Without OBJ, I mean, Bree says he wants a single-digit number. He said he didn't want zero, though. You know, ah. Uh, I mean, JFM said he wanted it. Michael Carter. Maybe Hardman. Hardman. Maybe Garrett. Lazard. You know, it would be weird. Rogers. That'd be the weirdest. That would be very weird. That'd be so strange. <laughs> I kind of want that. Rogers uh, and Zero. That'd just be the most unsightly. 
I feel like zero is like a speedster. Yeah, and zero number. needs to be a, a cool number. It really would have worked for OBJ. I mean, maybe like a DB, Michael Carter the second. Yeah, MC Square could be good. I kind of like. Was well, you saw Brees wants to to go to a single digit number? Which which number do you want for him? And do you do you want Garrett to go to five? I like twenty for Brees. I've I, gotten used to it. It's kind of a classic running back. Number. I like I like twenty for Brees too. It's Michael Irvin also had that tweet at at Garrett Wilson, which kind of made me think that he wants seventeen. So then I guess. Garrett could go to five, but it sounded like Lazar wanted five. I I wouldn't mind five for Garrett, but I got used to seventeen. Yeah, I, I bought the, the jersey. jersey. Yeah, I bought the jersey too. So. But you you know at least you can have rookie or Garrett Wilson jersey. These are the topics on April 9th. We we still have a few more weeks until the draft. I mean we're well into this. We had plenty of legitimate topics. That's true. That's true. All right, Michael. I guess that's. But there's also the draft hat. What do you think of the oh, draft God, hat? I, I looked at it when it came out. Hold on, let me look at it again. I, from what I recall, I didn't really like it. I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of of New Era's um, draft caps. I think the, the, the coolest one they had was uh, 2021, I would say. You know, the black yeah, I think the this is a, side. I like the design this year for the uh, league. I just think you don't like it? Oh, that's I like this design throughout I mean, the league. I just think it's the worst for the Jets because it's like the logo inside the letters. So if you have a logo that has words in it, then it's like yeah. two words. So I think it's kind of weird for the Jets, but I think for other teams it works really well. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. As we've said, I mean, if they win in these uniforms and these this logo, we'll, we'll end up loving it. I certainly think they should go back to the 80s logo, though, but... You know, it just seems hard to get a, a the right logo with just a jet, you know, without it looking like I've never art. seen a good concept. And I I, I'm I trying think... to make some myself, not that I'm an expert at graphic <laughs> Hey, hey you made our logo. Although I did I did make our logo. Our logo's pretty good. pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it is kind of just a hard thing to nail, like a logo, like just a quick yeah. little symbol. Because I feel like a jet is a little too detailed, or people try to make it too detailed, so... I, I like the 80s logo. I think they should go back to it. But we got another year of this uh, updated oval. They really ruined it. But, you know, I got to say, I think the old logo is better. Controversial opinion. You think so? Yeah, I think the NY it's behind the Jets the was... Updated oval. I mean, it, it's it's growing on me a little bit. But, I, you know, I think the NY behind the Jets was cool. I, I will say I feel I like just that have... logo looked as more of an aggressive feel to it than yeah. this one. You know what I mean? Like, I... I think you kind of look at it, it's like gritty. And I think I'm kind just, of like evokes that. Maybe right? it's because it's associated with winning. I think I'm just nostalgic for like being in like elementary school and drawing the old Jets logo and trying to get like the NY perfectly behind the, the Jets because it was kind of hard to draw because it was complicated. Maybe that's just me, just doodling in back class now. This this logo is too like it's like a font like it's you just write New York Jets. The other one felt like a little bit more like you know I don't know. It doesn't have any finesse to it. Yeah. All that's, right. That's for sure. We should probably get out of here. I just I just talked about the finesse of the Jets logo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you know it's yeah. time to end it. That means that we were supposed to end 15 minutes ago. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you have a great week. We'll be back next Monday. Sorry for the inc- inconsistencies uh, this spring, but obviously draft is, is coming new. We do have some exciting things, some friends of the pod coming up, potentially some film stuff. So we do have some plans for the summer, but we'll be back uh, next Monday, maybe, unless there's uh, any breaking news, we'll come with uh, an emergency pod. If anything else happens, but you can expect us on the Monday schedule. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Go Jets.